Hello and welcome to Inside B2B, brought to you by Marketing Week in partnership with Omobono. My name is Russell Parsons, Editor-in-Chief of Marketing Week and Festival of Marketing, and I am your host. Our subject today is the buying journey, its present and future. To state the thuddingly obvious, B2B brands and their stewards have faced hefty disruption over the last two years, but what legacy has and will that leave? And is that for the better or worse? And just how do you face up to what's now and next? I'm not going to answer those questions alone. You'll be pleased to know I have three people to impart their considerable experience and wisdom in the hope that we can answer some of those questions for you. I've got Gary Booker, an experienced marketing leader who has had CMO roles at Dixon's Carphone and Telefonica, but is now very much B2B side as Chief Marketing Innovation and Strategy Officer at Rent-A-Kill. Marcus Lambert, Chief Technology Officer at Digital Experience Agency for B2B Brands Omobono, a role he has had a number of digital first brands. And Anushka Elliott, who has led marketing efforts at some of the biggest names in investment banking, most recently as Managing Director, Global Head of Marketing Asset Management at UBS. Welcome all three of you. Thank you, Russell. Thank you. Thanks very much. Let's get uh, started. We could probably all lend a thought to this, but it'd be interesting to get some of the primary examples of the disruption that the pandemic has caused, specifically around the buying journey. Gary, if you were to pick some of those main ones, what would they be? Thanks. Yeah. I mean, for certain, I think our experience has been that the single biggest change is that buyers are now residing online. So obviously offices have been shut, um, decision makers are remote, but um, from our point of view at Job, my company is protecting premises from, from the dangers of pest-borne disease and, and risks of poor hygiene. So actually we still have the job to do of protecting those customers' premises, but they've been largely unstaffed. So this facing into buyers being online, they're sat in front of their computer screens, which they never really were before. And this has been a huge opportunity, really, Russell, for us, I guess, in a number of fronts. It's meant there's been a reduction or, or in fact, a removal of the gatekeepers to decision makers. So actually getting access to the decision makers actually is easier in some ways, but it requires a, a different approach. Everybody's sat in front of a screen. But critically, it means you need a change in both your sales approach and your marketing activity. So there's no easy shortcuts. It's, it's meant a change to everything with them online. Even early on in the pandemic, uh, I think the change was clear. I think McKinsey did a report really at back end of 2020, and it showed exactly what we're finding. In that, it said, I think 70 to 80% of B2B decision makers now prefer remote human interactions, whatever that is, remote human interactions or digital self-service as a preference now to face-to-face interactions. So it's easier for buyers to get information, it's easier for them to place orders, and it's easier for them to arrange service delivery without the face-to-face interaction. So that main disruption, main challenge for us has been buyers residing online, but it's also been a huge opportunity. Mm. Well, we'll get on to uh, perhaps some of the opportunities that it's afforded you and others uh, peers a little bit later, and also perhaps some of the consequences of digital self-service and remote buying experience. But thank you for laying out uh, some of the primary causes of and outcomes of disruption, uh, Gary. Uh, Marcus, your take on that, please. 
some of the interesting things about B2B and the commerce journey about buying it online is the level of complexity. You know, B2B products are not tend to be like consumer products where, you know, a classic Amazon journey where you just go along and buy a product. They normally have wrapped service wraps around them or they're specific like kind of configuration options. You know, you're buying a pump and it has a thousand different options that you could possibly have on it. So that makes the B2B journey quite complex. And this has made projects nice to have because they're quite expensive and complex to bring online. But we've seen the pandemic really accelerate this. The acceleration, you know, probably is in the three to four years. And, you know, some of the studies that Gary was talking about, the same study was talking about supply chain and uh, customer interaction acceleration of around three to four years. And we're seeing that borne out with our clients at the moment in their transformations. Thank you for that. It's interesting what you were saying about complexity, and we'll perhaps get into that in a moment um, the buying journey isn't the same as it is in b2c so accelerated transformation digitally is going to have consequences perhaps open up opportunities we'll get into those in a moment but i'd like to bring anushka in uh, just for your reflections particularly around expectation of customers um, how that is changing gary talked about increasing expectation of self-service and a default that uh, something will be done uh, digitally. What are your experiences? It's really interesting, actually. I mean, the Gartner data pre-pandemic indicated that 53% of the B2B exploration before purchase was done online. After that, at least in my industry pre-pandemic, the vast majority of the conversion process was led by sales and was typically face-to-face and high-touch, largely due to the complexity of the sale that Marcus alluded to earlier. But during that the pandemic, obviously the sales process had to change because we flipped to 100% digital in a matter of days. So all of a sudden, our digital storefront, lead gen forms, digital nurturing, the insight gathering from online experiences, digital communication tools, they all came into force. They had to, to help the sales machine continue to work. And if you had all these things in place, great. If you didn't, you needed to establish them as soon as possible. And as we all know from bitter experience, this isn't a quick journey. And actually, if you're reflecting back now, what we found at the end of last year through client research was that actually half the clients wanted us to stay in touch with them 100% digitally, which was a real change from where we were pre-pandemic. And a further 10% wanted communications in a blended approach. Now, obviously, that requires that full omnichannel experience and fantastic data to make sure that what you're doing digitally and, and in person actually is seamless. Now, of course, that desire of experience depended on region and country. So in countries like Japan and Switzerland, they continue to prefer a high touch in person approach. But the majority of countries and the majority of people seem to have experienced this greater efficiency of the blended approach and they really wanted to continue. And actually, when I was doing some research and preparation for this, that story is coming through in the broader industry data as well. So Gartner's latest research actually indicates that B2B buyers spend only 17% of the total purchase journey with sales reps now. And 44% of millennial B2B buyers actually prefer no sales rep interaction at all in a B2B setting. Now, I'm not sure that translates one-on-one to the investment industry that I'm in today, but it is a fascinating indication of where we're heading. It's fascinating indeed, but um, also I can imagine a bit of a 
head scratcher as well. Sticking with you, Anushka, before I bring Marcus and Gary back in, because there's quite a lot to unpack there. Yeah, I know. I mean, what I'm hearing in the Gartner research and your own experiences is the vast majority of people either want digital or hybrid. If you're a younger, certainly the younger than I am, then, well, true to form, you perhaps want more digital first buying experiences. So, you made reference, as did Marcus, to the already complex buying journey in B2B, perhaps made even more complex by the different ways that you have to satisfy and meet different demands, different client demands. So how do people go about dealing, handling, meeting a challenge that was already complex, made even more complex? Um I know that's a big question, but talk to me about some of the things that you did maybe at UBS to address some of these complexities and the increasing different demands. Sure. I mean, we thought about it in layers. So the first layer we thought about was actually the infrastructure and the technology that we needed. So really thinking through that MarTech stack, really thinking through the data, which data we had, what data we needed, what we needed to dashboard in order to get our insights. So we started thinking about that from the start. And then from there, building out our digital storefront, actually, and really thinking through our user journeys, our user stories, our user experiences, so that we could capture this progress, this client journey, basically end to end, and then think about with our sales teams and client service teams, how that could be used to actually augment that what they were doing today because we're very cognizant that everything that we do actually happens in the context of personal relationships so we needed that infrastructure first so the data piece the the digital storefront the digital interactions but making sure that everything joined up and actually those insights were going into the salespeople, going into the client service people so that they could be smarter in their interactions as well Now, overlaying that, we also needed to take a fresh look at our content strategy so that we actually had content that was reflecting back and really thinking about the different personas that we were focusing on, the different types of message that we needed to get into them, the different roles that they were playing in that complex sale, actually so that we could influence them at the right time in the right place with the right message. But as you can imagine, that's a very complicated thing to do. So we used a lead digital agency to kind of help us with the infrastructure piece and then we actually lent on a content agency to help us really ramp up our content delivery so that we could get greater speed to market so it was a huge team effort as you can imagine to actually get this thing whirring without adding additional cost and without adding additional FTE. Again I'm hearing um, complexity I suppose the fact that people want to be engaged with in different ways is as, as Marcus alluded to, we've accelerated the journey towards being able to do that. But they also, you also need to think about targeted communications in different ways as well. And that's something moving towards omnichannel that obviously B2B definitely shares with B2C. Now, before I get the technologist view again from Marcus, I'm going to go to you, Gary. People listening won't be able to see what I could see, which is Gary uh, nodding along in uh, reflecting perhaps on some similar experiences. So talk to me about some of the complexities and challenges that this has thrown up and indeed how you've met them, Gary. Yeah, I mean, our experience is very similar to Anushka's. I think customers are definitely sat in front of screens. 
they want different content uh, and they want to connect and engage in in different ways so content has has never been more important and and um, still some of the good old factors that are truths of marketing which is personalized contextual timely and relevant so that's not new news so you know on the one hand we say what has changed as a result of all of this uh, to a certain extent nothing has changed all the things that were important have just become even more important and some have become critical in a new way of working. I think customers want transparency. They expect and need the data to be able to support decision-making. They want different ways of engaging with partners. They want, I think they've now got more confidence to make a transactional decision based on data. And more than ever, I think also they want to work with people that they can trust. So trust has been a big dial up over the last couple of years. They want partners and suppliers who have shown they can quickly adapt and evolve to meet their new needs. So yeah, content, definitely short form video, even old school, let's call it that, um, significantly increased appetite for and response to webinars. Who, who'd have thought that a webinar would be an engaging marketing technique in, uh, in 2021, 2022, but not the old way of doing webinars. They need to be newer. They need to be better than, than what was done before. Short, punchy, I think informative, engaging, and a lot of CRM uh, before and after with uh, with content sharing and follow-up. I think customers want, as I say, information from sources they trust, but social presence is also much more important. Um, share of social voice, I don't think, has ever been more important now in the kind of journey and decision-making. And I think a change in sales approach. So we're rolling out something called modern selling, um, a, a new approach and training to kind of adapt our frontline teams to these changes. I think the last thing, though, from us, it's perhaps a bit more unique to our industry and or sector. We have to go to sites. We have to go to sites to check that um, that, that sites are free from infestation, uh, safe and hygienic. So one of the material changes also that we've had to make is a huge investment in IoT. So we've actually got a massive program now of investing in equipping customers with remote monitoring solutions, whereas before we might have sent uh, colleagues to site. Um, so that's a that's a very material change in serving our customers. And, and perhaps we can talk about that later on as we get into a bit more chat about data and the importance of data now. Well, I think you teed us up quite nicely there. I, I suspect that neither Anushka or Marcus in his uh, consultation with clients have to be concerned with the eradication of pests. But a lot of what you mentioned there, I'm sure, is reflected in their own experiences. Marcus, from a technology perspective... Anushka mentioned MarTech. Gary just talked about data. The more people are online, the more data is available. But joining the dots between the different touch points and making sense of what that actually means, as well as having the infrastructure in place to do that, that's another thing. I mean, MarTech isn't new. Data isn't obviously new. The proliferation of it is definitely a gradual, but it does throw up and we've seen accelerated uh, digitization. So we've seen acceleration of all of that and the challenges are perhaps more apparent. So what would you be advising people in terms of first steps to make sense of this? Yeah, as Nuska says, we've been focused much more on the MarTech stack over this period because people are trying to join it all up together. Um, I think before people had, you know, we have a MarTech stack and they maybe have a, you know, market automation and they've got the CRM and it, it may be loosely joined, but now it's now got to all be connected up. You know, there's suddenly been a rigor and a focus to it. And that has 
spat out, let's say, a lot of data. And people are trying to get their heads around about what does this data mean? You know, how these interact, what are these data points saying about the customer? And also trying to find gaps in their MarTech. And, you know, some ways that we've been using, we've done as an agency to help customers that is to do things like CX mapping and empathy mapping, looking at that buying journey and where those holes are in and how your customers feel when they, you know, don't have a piece of content that's nudging them or they, you know, they, they need, you know, they need a piece of data to help them buy that. And, that allows you to kind of connect this journey to maybe some of your technology stack and maybe where the holes are and then also maybe your content. But this is causing this deluge of data at the moment we're seeing as well as also exposing your data to customers as well. That's another another challenge we're seeing customers uh, face. So one is we've got a lot of data is what are the insights and the other one is we're now, you know, let's say putting our product catalog online and that's also got this challenge of, um, you know, those workarounds maybe our sales teams have had and products teams have had are suddenly now very visible to the clients and that's like becoming a forcing function through people's organizations you know from cultural aspects as well because they're trying to get to grips with all this data and also these different technology platforms and possibly new ways of working you know new standard operating practices that need to be put in place to to manage this as well data is now forcing through into a culture as well and it's good it tells from the front line in regards to yes managing and making sense of data yes one of the one of the fun new aspects of our roles as CMOs. Um, I mean, fundamentally, this is all about making the client or making sure that the journey feels seamless to the client. So that means that marketing, sales and client service need to have the data that they need on that specific client at their fingertips so that they can deliver that. And as Marcus said, practically, that's about putting the CRM at the heart of your MarTech stack, integrating your various MarTech tools so that you can line that data up end to end. But as you're thinking through that process, you need to establish what insights you really want to need. Within marketing, we look at three levels. So strategic, typically annually or quarterly data, which gives us an indication of brand health. So awareness, perception, consideration, favorability. Um, Tactical, so typically monthly company-wide or campaign-specific data so that we can understand the impact of our activities on engagement. And then optimization, so that's daily or weekly data by activity or channel so that we can see where we need to tweak our approach to maximize our commercial impact. But we also need to work with sales to ensure that we're lining up the data and insights that they need. So typically product hot lists from digital engagements, lead short lists from sales generation, any sort of engagement data around the specific clients that they're already engaging with, essentially so that we can provide that seamless experience, but also maximize the commercial value that marketing's bringing. The challenge um, is getting clean client data. And that's where it's really important to ensure that the insights that you're providing to sales are so valuable to them that they're actually incentivized to get scrubbing. Because without clean client data, actually, it's a bit of a challenge throughout that whole data journey. But I mean, essentially, we look at it at those three levels. So strategic, tactical, and then optimization. Sounds dangerously like uh, almost a 101 in, uh, in, in marketing, Anushka. <laughs> I, 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 I've been around for quite a while, been at Marketing Week for 10 years and more. Um, I've, I've never heard the, uh, the call to action get scrubbing when it comes to <laughs> thought you'd like that. anything, never mind data. Uh, can I just stick with you? Because you brought up um, sales and the relationship with 
sales, which is always, as long as I've been at Marketing Week, a hot button topic in B2B. Uh, let's just stick with that just for a moment. And uh, if you could explain how changes are impacting the relationship uh, for the better or, or throwing up more challenges specifically in terms of relationship between marketing and sales, that is. That's a really, really interesting question. Actually, if you look back at that Gartner data and look at that shift in digital, it's clear that there is a shift coming in the relationship between marketing and sales. And it's about, you know, really doing a lot of stakeholdering as a marketing person and making sure that your colleagues are feeling incredibly comfortable with the direction that you're going in and that you are traveling together as a team. And I think that's just more and more important, actually, as digital takes hold, rather than the in-person elements, it's really figuring out what that new normal is, workshopping things together. You know, as we put in marketing automation systems, it is about getting all of us around the table and actually agreeing the ideal client journey that you want to be having and delivering, and then working out what our respective roles and responsibilities are. But there is a lot of stakeholdering as a CMO that goes into making sure that that is a a seamless and, and joined up partnership and I think there's more change to come um, which is going to be really interesting I think that much is uh, is guaranteed uh, more change is coming Anushka thank you for that Gary you set the ball rolling on this conversation about data yeah I'm coming to your last apologies for that but just before I ask you about perhaps some of the ways that you are looking to realize the opportunity of data tangents are great we've just We've just gone down one with uh, with the sales marketing one. I just wondered if you had any reflections on how that dynamic is changing, will change. Yeah, completely. Uh, uh, the joy of of a, of a group like this is we're coming at it from different angles, different sectors, and so hopefully we cover a lot of different bases. So I appreciate that my uh, industry and sector isn't representative of everybody, but it is very much a people led frontline service business. We are out day in, day in day out with people visiting customer sites and providing a service, so it should equally apply to all of those. Um, just uh, very interesting to pick up here yeah, in terms of what the changes for our salespeople on the front line in terms of quality of data and their responsibility to make sure that's clean, as, as Anushka said. Also really interesting, Russell, to pick up on Marcus's point about a new truth of exposing data to customers. I think that's a really, really interesting area and is, again, a change that has come about as a result of everything we've been through. Um, as I said earlier, we've put a, a, a suite of secure and robust connected devices out now in the market. So we're in 26 countries. Some of our largest customer sites have over a thousand devices on site monitoring 24-7-365, which we never had before. So we're now getting 10 million different messages, pieces of data a day back from customer sites, which some of that is done by IoT, but some of it's also done by our technicians recording it on their handset and just feeding that in. Now, that's all lovely, but what it means is uh, not only do we have all that data that we never had before, we have a thing called the command center, which means head office, country managers, regional sales colleagues, and the branch managers themselves can access and, and have a much, much, much better understanding of what's going on on a customer site than they've ever had before. And that gives us huge opportunities to service them better. But to get to the point, we also now serve all of that data up in a customer portal to our customers. And we expose exactly you know, what's happened, when the visit has taken place, how long it's been, what was found, what was supposed to have been done since last time, has that been done, um, et cetera, et cetera. 
Now that in some ways is a, is a positive can of worms, but I think is also the future, which is not just having the data, but then the way in which we share and engage and use that in discussions with customers, being completely transparent, having that trust, and then making joint decisions. I think that has been a, a very significant change. Um, there was a bit of a journey we were on, but definitely has accelerated as a result of the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, that trust and transparency when it comes to data and the value exchange that I think you've all inferred is necessary is is something that I think all B2B and B2C marketers have been thinking about for some time. It's become more pronounced for sure over the last couple of uh years just dwelling a little bit on some of the to-do list that uh, is necessary i do wonder what changes are needed in terms of skills and people and learning and development again it's not like data and analytics or the need for analytics is new or the internet spoiler it's definitely not new but as we've talked about a lot um, the need for people with analytic skills to be able to take advantage of the uh, shifts has become more pronounced but it's not like b2b or b2c is blessed with an excess of people with these skills so what kind of challenges has that um, thrown up in your businesses Uh, i'll stick with you gary Um, in terms of upskilling learning and development or indeed bringing people in what kind of problems have you found I think it's, as you say, it touches certain elements that you would expect in terms of the, the skills required from marketing colleagues, marketing teams. They need to be a lot more technical. I think the relationship between a marketing function or a customer function and at the CIO or the, you know, the, the IT function um, or information in the business is, is really, really important. It was said you know, a few years ago that the most important relationship was between marketing and HR. And I still think that's fundamentally true. But um, the blur between what is marketing and what is digital technology, what is information systems um, is extraordinary. So I think uh, we actually just in the last quarter of last year did a, a kind of big operating model review, which involved a number of people moving from one side to another. So I think there's an acknowledgement that we have to work together and, and, and matrix is important, but also where you've got, again, as a service business, previously we would have our frontline men and women out providing that service for the customer. But now if we're wanting to make sure that we're serving the data and recording things on site, the technician or the service delivery has to also now have elements of data capture. And there's a whole lot of other responsibilities that our frontline teams need. And we're then using that data and information not to replace them by remotely monitoring, but to make them even more effective because the data that they now have to gather and feedback, we then feed back to them. So as they pull up on site, they can immediately um, see all the history and all the information about that account, any other I- information um, is a kind of single view of the customer and are able to provide a much, much better service as they walk in the door. But I think not that it's, it's changed almost every aspect of marketing and its interaction with the other functions. Marcus, let me come to you on that question of technology and marketing being in lockstep and, and ever more so. And the wider question around skills, particularly around data analytics, technology, uh, your take on that? 
it's interesting to look at like kind of salaries for things like data engineers over the over the pandemic. Um, it's been one of those skills that have had a 20% increase in their salaries. And again, as, as Gary was saying, you know, we're seeing this blend where they were, you know, like say pure hardcore data engineers, you know, in SQL and databases, et cetera. And now they have these uh, kind of more business functional skills as well to actually interpret it and actually, you know, deliver it in the right way for marketing to understand the interaction as well as the deep skill. And that's these blended kind of roles are emerging now and you know they are you know commanding a premium because they're in short supply <laughs> and not everyone has these skills they understand marketing and also understanding you know deep technical knowledge so yeah that's why the the salaries are going up and you know there's a shortage <laughs> of of these skills it, you know certainly in the UK at the moment it's very hard to get hold of them for sure Anushka um what new skills did you find that your teams needed I don't just mean in the last two years, but generally perhaps over a period of time. And have you found those skills and that capability to be plentiful or found it difficult to find? I mean, marketing has changed so much in the past 10 years, not in terms of setting marketing strategy, but in terms of the toolkit that we have and how we execute and how we actually deliver the client experience. I mean, if you think about as marketing leaders, we need to be creating and and delivering brands and mental availability, bridging the gap with technology to deliver these seamless and measurable omni-channel journeys, you know, driving content strategy, lead generation and product marketing in close alignment with sales and overlaying all of that with data acumen. Huge amounts of knowledge really needed now in tech. And there's this plethora of MarTech on the market. So actually being able to understand what works when and making sure that you educate yourself is fundamental, as well as we just talked about the data analytics piece. I actually brought a well-known marketing capabilities provider into the team to do an assessment of where we stood against all of these different skills so that I could actually do a diagnostic and create a whole marketing curriculum because we need, you know, marketing's changed, but also so have the client expectations and the product stayed the same, but we need to have this sweet spot of all of those three things, marketing, client understanding and product in order to be able to deliver. So yes, we actually created an entire marketing curriculum for the team to get them up the curve. And yes, as you've heard from Marcus and Gary, some of those deep technical skills are in short supply. So we wanted to try and home grow as much as we possibly could. It's a common challenge, I think, faced by all uh, brands, B2B or B2C. And I think it will probably define uh, not only ability to retain, uh, but also to grow as well in many ways. Uh, Interesting to get all your takes on that. Um, Just sticking with you, Anushka, but please, Marcus, Gary, do come in. I've heard a lot and talked to a lot of people about Agile, about the methodology of Agile, about working cross-departmental. I just wondered, in terms of facing some of the nuances and changes in the buying journey, whether or not Agile is something that you've switched to, exploring, uh, dipped your toe, etc. Any experiences to share there, Anushka? Yeah, we did certainly um, for the tech build out. So we delivered that in an, uh, using Agile methodology. We actually had five partners <laughs> across the bank and various agencies. So we needed to be delivering sprints. And, and certainly from my previous employer's perspective, that Agile is something that they are embracing readily because it enables you to deliver improvements on a very frequent basis and continue to do that. So that actually really helped us get something out to market, get our MVP out to market and then constantly improve and deliver 
which was really, really helpful. But it did take a mindset change from a more traditional waterfall approach. And it also took, you know, a commitment from all of us to actually devolve authority to that team leading the projects to make their own decisions in real time so that they could continue and and move apace. Gary, any um, any agile stories to share? Well, yeah, it's, it's been really interesting because, as you know, because Russell and I have known each other a little while, I, I'm about 15 years ago, I was working for Electronic Arts in, in San Francisco. And that was the that was pre, <laughs> that's how old I am, pre-iPad. And the iPhone came out and it was Nintendo Wii and all those happy, happy days, which a lot of listeners would go, who's this old man? What's he talking about? Um, but anyway, everything we did then was sprints and scrums and you know it was entertainment software development these are now all the same things that we're using in good old-fashioned corporations so it's interesting to see the kind of the ways and means of the iterative i suppose i guess approach to project management and development is now uh, endemic within marketing we need to, to to learn from all of that but i also think our approach to you know the, the, the sales approach has, has had to completely change whereas previously as i said we were trying to we struggled sometimes it was cold calling it was you know lukewarm leads now there's a you know again linkedin who, who would have thought that linkedin would be such a valuable tool in terms of one step removed but two step removed the ability to actually um, get a referral or, or get in front of somebody. So there's, so I, I would say that Agile and the techniques are, are now fundamental to, to good marketing, to do good customer engagement. But actually the entire sales and marketing approach, I think, as, as Anishka has said, is, is kind of unrecognisable from where it was yeah, five, six, seven years ago even. Goodness, that's such a profound point. I feel like we, uh, we should explore it further. But in the interest of time, I'm going to, try and draw our conversation to somewhat of a conclusion and I'm going to come to you uh, first Marcus we've talked a lot in a short space of time about some of the changes and how uh, some of those challenges can be met Uh, if there was one thing that you think with regards to first the buying journey and then the job of b2b marketing generally will be the legacy of the last couple of years let's get your crystal ball out and start forecasting what you think is going to define the medium term anyway in terms of both the buying journey and b2b marketing generally i think the the kind of the legacy is going to be the breakdown of these silos like the silos between sales and marketing and customer support i think that's going to be the legacy um, and as Nuska was talking there you know bringing all those stakeholders together around uh, you know a single customer experience and understanding the roles and responsibilities they play is a very powerful thing and there should be more of it. And I think we're definitely cracking that nut at the moment. Thank you, uh, Anushka. I think the genie is well and truly out of the bottle that actually marketing budgets can be used much more strategically to enhance the hybrid client experience. You know, and regardless of the attestations of sales, I think we've proven that you don't actually need to be using significant budget for in-person events to be delivering bottom line growth. So to me, the lasting legacy of the pandemic is this shift to hybrid client experiences. I think we were already on the omni-channel path within B2B, but necessity has forced us to embrace it and it feels like there's no turning back and as a b2b marketer i think that's great because it means that our commercial value within a b2b context is being fully fully recognized gary the final words to you 
Uh, well, I, I completely agree and echo my colleagues. I think the way customers want to interact and the way they want to buy has permanently changed. I think um, the, the sales approach and, and marketing activity has to change. Uh, it has always been thus. We need to continue to evolve. Um, we touched on data and the use uh, of, of this. It plays a more important role than ever. But the absolute truths, which I touched on very lightly earlier on, are still the truths for me. Personalised, contextual, timely, relevant. Again, to Anushka's point, though, I think the joy is we now have um, more tools than ever to be able to truly deliver on those things for our customers. Thank you. And I um, thank you very much to all three of you for your insight, thoughts and experience today. What you just said there, Gary, was one of my top takeaways, um, which you've all discussed in one way, shape or form, which is that strategy or strategic fundamentals don't change or haven't changed, but the delivery of experienced um, absolutely has and will continue to in many, many ways that we've discussed. I really liked what we were saying, one of those things being omni-channel and hybrid, clearly some profound changes, but no shortage of ways to innovate, to, to meet some of those changes head on. On a lighter note, one of the things that I wrote down and laughed about earlier is when it comes to data, perhaps everybody should take this away. Get scrubbing. Thank you, Anushka. <laughs> My pleasure. Um, <laughs> thank you again for all of your time, Marcus, Anushka and Gary. Uh, thanks to everybody that's uh, been listening. So until next time, goodbye from me. You have been listening to Inside B2B in partnership with Omobono, with me, Russell Parsons. This podcast was produced by Tim O'Donoghue at Bauer London Creative. Look out for previous episodes in the series on marketingmedia.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. Until next time, goodbye.